Good morning. We're glad you're online with us. Let me just ask a question as we dive into, today, into today's message. What is it that you're known for? When people think, oh, fill in your name, what comes to mind? What, what is it that they envision? What parts of you just bubble to the top of, of their forehead? Um, Jim Marshall was a defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings from 1961 to 1979. He was an incredible defensive line player. He was the anchor for the defensive line of the Vikings during that era that were known as the Purple People Eaters. He started, yeah, yeah, oh, Vikings fan, there we go. Um, the uh, uh, Marshall started 270 consecutive NFL games carving out a consecutive game streak that lasted for over 18 years. It's still the longest of any defensive player in the history of the NFL. On October 25th, 1964, in a game between the San Francisco 49ers, any 49ers fans? Good. Uh, oh, uh, Between the 49ers and Marshall's Vikings, Jim Marshall was presented with an opportunity that every defensive lineman craves. 49ers quarterback George Myra was scrambling under intense pressure from the defensive line. Threw a pass in the flat to Billy Kilmer, who was a running back for the 49ers at that time. Billy Kilmer later became really much more famous as the quarterback of the Washington Redskins. Redskins fans? Woo! Yeah, there we go. Um, Kilmer caught the pass, made a cut, got hit by a member of the Vikings, and fumbled the ball. Jim Marshall, like the outstanding defensive lineman that he was, was pursuing the play. He saw the ball at an open field in front of him. He picked up the ball on the 33-yard line. Uh, he stumbled before gaining his stride, and he sprinted 67 yards untouched into the end zone. As he crossed the end zone, he threw the football in the air and waited for his teammates to join him in the celebration. Only they didn't. All right, because he had just run more than 60 yards in the wrong direction to the wrong end zone. Lon Simmons, who was broadcasting the game that day, said, Jim Marshall is running the wrong way three different times as he ran down the field. In one play, Jim Marshall, the Iron Man of the NFL, became known as Wrong Way Marshall. Wrong way, Marshall. What is it that you're known for? Maybe it's something that happened to you when you were a kid, or in high school, or in college, or when you started your first job. Maybe it was something heroic. Maybe it was something really stupid. Maybe you made an offhand comment that hurt someone so deeply that now, years later, people still perceive you through the lens of that event, that comment, that action that you took or didn't take. And, and though you've tried to forgive yourself and forget that stuff and move on, maybe you still see yourself in light of that thing that happened so long ago. Paul, a man who tried to eliminate Christianity before having a literal come to Jesus moment that left him temporarily blind and then forever changed. Paul wrote to a church in a little town called Colossae. 
a, a forgotten town that had lost all of its status and prestige. It was just kind of this little known place. In that letter that we began to read together last week to see what God would say to us through it, Paul writes to encourage the Colossians to know who they are and to live lives that are consistent with that message, with that knowledge. So take out your Bibles, um, open the North Point app if you've got that on your phone, go to the sermon notes that are there. We're gonna start reading together. As we do, uh, feel free to take a Bible out of the back of the pews if you want to. Colossians is towards the back. As we do, if you have questions about what's in the text, if you have questions about anything that I say as I'm talking, please send those questions through the app to us this morning, and we'll do our best to answer those questions in a podcast that we call North Point Plus that comes out every Tuesday morning. It's a really, really cool thing, and it gives us an opportunity to have some dialogue. So, so take advantage of that. Let's read together this morning, picking up where Chris left off last week, starting with verse nine, and we're gonna read through verse 14, and then we're gonna dive deep into those verses. Colossians 1, verse nine. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul starts this passage and, and begins to move into the heart of the letter out of the introduction by saying, for this reason. And if you weren't here last week, you're saying, okay, for what reason? What's the reason that's there? He refers back to verse six in, uh, earlier in the, in the chapter, and he says the gospel, the true gospel, as Chris talked about last week, not, the, not a false gospel, but the true gospel has come to you. And it's bearing fruit and it's growing throughout the world and it's changing that little church that Epiphras planted in your town that you're a part of. That little town that seems like it's, it's insignificant. God is doing stuff and because of that, we're, we're praying for you. For this reason, since the day that we first heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. And, and that then leads into the next phrase, which is, what is it that Paul was praying? What was he praying about? He says this, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. He says, we've heard about what's God, what God is doing in you and through you, and so we're praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. So that leads to the question, what's the will of God. How can we know the will of God? Sometimes we'll say, I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will in this particular thing. Or, or we say, if I just knew what God's will was, it would be so much easier. What's, what is God's will for your life? Excuse me. When scripture talks about God's will for his creation, he actually, scripture actually talks about two different aspects of God's will. He talks about, uh, scripture talks about God's general will and God's specific will. God's general will for all of us is that we, that we would be in right relationship with him. Peter says, um, it's, God's not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. So when we talk about seeking God's will for our life, it really, at its most foundational um, element, it's to recognize that God wants us to be in right relationship with him. That is God's will. There's never any doubt about that. God wants you to know him. He wants you to love him. He wants you to serve him. That's God's will. But that, then, then there's this thing that we kind of wrestle with, his specific will. That, those are the questions that are like, okay, what's, what's God's will in this area? Who am I supposed to marry? You know, am I supposed to take this new job? Am I supposed to leave my old job? What career should I pursue? Should I have kids? Is that God's will? Should I, how many kids should I have? Is that, what's God's will in that? Uh, is it God's will that I report this thing in my work that I know is wrong and probably illegal? Is that God's will that I do that? Is it God's will that I take this medication or this medication to combat this thing that's going on in my body, or to not take any medication at all? Is it God's will for me to rent or to buy where I live? What's God's will for how I should discipline my children in this area that's just so difficult? What's God's will in that? We, we, we want to know God's will, God's specific will on lots of different aspects of our life. And here's the truth that as Paul prays for the church in Colossae that I want you to get a hold of. Following God's general will for our lives is much more important than trying to determine his specific will in our lives. Following God's general, being in right relationship with him is far more important than any individual choice that we may, we may make as we seek God in that area. Um, you know, it, it, I was trying to think, how can I illustrate this? And this is a conversation that I've had, uh, kind of a conglomerate of conversations I've had over the years with, with a lot of people. You know, I'm sure it's God's will for me to take this new job. I've been praying about it. I'm convinced it's God's will for me to take this new job. Oh, oh okay, that's great. How's everybody else feel about it? Well, my spouse doesn't want me to take this job. She says, don't take it. Um, this new job, uh, how's, how's it going to impact your life? Well, it's going to mean that I'm not going to have nearly as much time with my kids. It means that I'm going to have to quit my life group that I'm a part of, and it means that I'm going to have to work a lot of Sundays. And I know, and I know that the people that I'm working with aren't followers of Jesus, and so I'm going to kind of be in partnership with these people that don't believe the same things that I do. But I'm convinced it's God's will that I take this job. Been there, done that? Anybody been through that process? God's general will is always much more important than any specific aspect of, of trying to figure out what's going on in his life, which doesn't mean that we don't pursue asking God for direction and clarity in terms of all of those choices that we make. But the most important thing is that we're in right relationship with him. That's God's will. Um, what is God's general will? How do we figure that out? I know it's, I've said to just be in right relationship with him. I, I think Paul was plain when he wrote to the church in Rome and he said this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't look like everyone else around you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. How do you know God's will? You offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him. Not just on Sunday morning when we sing, but 24-7 as we live out our days. How do you get the knowledge of his will? When you try and seek that, um, Paul says, we constantly ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. It's, it's to recognize that the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives us to understand God's will is different than the world gives. The world says that you get wisdom and understanding through education. But if the foundation of your education is centered in man and not in God, that foundation is gonna be flawed. The world says that you gain wisdom and understanding through experience, but without God, all you may gain from experience is getting beat up and worn down, or that you may learn how to use people, manipulate people. The world says that you can get wisdom and understanding from your friends, but if your friends have a mindset that says it's only wrong if you get caught, you're not getting wiser you're just getting more stupid, right? Stuart Smalley on uh, Saturday Night Live a whole bunch of years ago said, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, right? That's not wisdom. That's not understanding. That's a flawed view of the world. James, in the beginning of his letter, says if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Why are we praying to know God's will? Paul, Paul says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. You wanna know what your nature is, who you are at your core? Paul says, this is what we pray for, that you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That's who we're meant to be. Why do we pursue wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives? It's not so that we can live pain-free lives. It's not so that we can be well-respected by our peers. It's not so that we can have a thriving career. It's not so that we can have lots of stuff or be healthy. It's so that our lives can count on the only scorecard that matters. So that we can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him day in, day out. Do you wake up in the morning and ask, God, how can I please you today? How can I bring you joy? Man, isn't that a great prayer to start the day with? That's, that's what it means to live a life worthy of him, a life that will please him. What's, what's that look like as that gets lived out on a daily basis? I, I think Paul uh, describes it in three very specific ways in the next few verses. He says this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to his might. Fruit, bearing fruit in every good work. Fruit's the natural response of what's happening in branches that are connected to the root, 
a, a, a trunk that has good roots and that's getting all the ingredients that it needs. It's being nourished in the way that God designed. When we're connected with God, when we're walking with him, when we're listening to him, when we're following him, when we're being changed by him, when we're living out the mission of Jesus, fruit happens naturally. It takes time for the fruit to grow. But if we're healthy, if our relationship with God is right, that's gonna happen, there's gonna be fruit. What's fruit look like? The easiest way to describe it is from Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in us. Living in a way that pleases God means that there will be fruit in our lives and that we'll grow in the knowledge of God as well. There's gonna be fruit, there's gonna be knowledge of God that just continues to grow. How do we do that? How do we grow in the knowledge of God? It's by spending time in his word, by, by diving in and understanding who God is, who his character is, who his nature is through his word. It's listening to the Holy Spirit speak to us through his word, through creation. In our teaching team a few weeks ago, we talked about um, whether or not there are a significant number of people who are on a daily basis, who are regularly diving into God's word or not. And, and in our conversation, one of the things we talked about is it's a scary thing to recognize that for many, the only time that they're interacting with God's word is what happens here on Sunday morning um, at this point in time. If we wanna grow in the knowledge of God, that's not enough. We've, we've, we've gotta be diving into God's word to understand who he is and what he wants in us, what he wants to do in us and through us. We can't have that relationship with a good, good father unless we're spending time with him and listening to him speak to us. Um, the third thing that Paul says that, that will... Um, get lived out in our life as we please God, as we live a life worthy of the Lord, is that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. If you're strengthened with the power of God, his power is transferred from him to us. What? That, that's just a crazy thought. That's something that we'd want, right? We would want the power of God lived out in our lives, strength that could sustain us when we're discouraged. Strength that could help us stand up when people beat you down. Strength that would give us hope and assurance no matter what's going on in our lives around us. That's what's available, available to us when we know God's will, when we're living a life that's pleasing to him. Paul, I think in his uniquely uh, logical communication pattern, says this. When you live a life worthy of the Lord, when you're living to please him, you're gonna bear fruit. You're gonna grow in the knowledge of God and you're gonna be strengthened with power according to his might. And that's gonna show up in your life. That's gonna be evidenced in your life in some very specific ways. Um, he says, uh, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Paul says, when the Holy Spirit's working in you, when you know that, when you understand who God is, when you're growing in the knowledge of his will, 
when you're living a life worthy of the Lord, you're gonna have incredible endurance. You're gonna have patience. You're gonna have joyful gratitude to God. When, when I think in my life about people that I've known that, that I would describe as heroes of faith, the people that I've looked up to spiritually, um, uh, the people that I thought, boy, I wish I had a relationship with God like they do, there are no better descriptors, I don't think, than, that, than lives that are characterized by endurance and patience and joyful gratitude. When, when I think about those people, I think, man, they were people that just persevered through really difficult stuff. They had this sense of joyful gratitude that was just a part of their lives. Again, those qualities are fruit of the relationship that we have with God. They're not something that we work for, that we try and manhandle to the ground to say, oh, I've got to have this be a part of my life. Sometimes we think, I've just got to endure, right? I've just got to hold on. I've got to buckle down and be more patient. Count to 10. Bite my tongue. Suck it up and just make it through. Sometimes we think, you know what? I'm, I'm hurting so deeply inside, but I just need to put a smile on my face and thank God for all the garbage that's in my life. I can just have joyful gratitude. I can make it happen, even if it kills me, right? Sometimes we think that way. It's not that. It's that your relationship with God goes so deep in the fabric of who you are that you see him in everything around you, even in the struggles you can see God's hand at work. You can trust him even in the dark times. You can, him, you can allow him to lead you even when it's scary and you're unsure what's gonna happen in front of you. Those qualities, that, those, those aspects come as the result of your relationship not because you forced them to bubble up and, and, to, and to come to the forefront of your life. Paul, Paul finishes this thought with an incredibly encouraging word about knowing who we are and knowing, understanding how much God loves us. He says this, starting in verse 12, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. God has done all of the work. We don't have to manufacture it. God's done it all through Jesus. He's qualified us to share in an inheritance that comes from him. He's made us a part of his family. He's made us sons and daughters, joint heirs with Jesus. He's rescued us from all of the junk 
of this world. And he's brought us into a completely new perspective. He's changed the way that we think. He's changed the way that we respond. He's done the work. We're still living at the same address. We're still married to the same person. We still have the same kids that need to learn and grow, right? We're still in the same jobs, but we have a different perspective, a different mindset, a different outlook because God has rescued us from the world of darkness. Because of what God has done, we see everything differently. We're not living only for this world. We're not living in a way that we think, oh, I've got to get everything that I can in these 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life. We're living instead for Jesus, living lives worthy of the Lord, wanting to please him. Well, um, when we live in this moment, when we live in the world around us, we try and grab as much pleasure as we can as often as we can. We try and celebrate every personal success that we can. We, 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 we try and get everything that feeds us. And Paul says, that's not what it's about. God has rescued you from that mindset of the world. He's given you a different lens. So, so here's my encouragement as, uh, as we look at this passage of scripture today, know that you've been rescued and redeemed. Paul says, you've been rescued, you've been redeemed. Know that you've, that you've experienced that or that you can be and live with that knowledge. Um, for some of you, you, you know that. You know that you're in right relationship with Jesus. For others of you, you're thinking, man, I don't know that it's, I don't know that I can live in that. I don't know that I've ever experienced that. I just wanna let you know, God has paid the price through Jesus so that you can be rescued and redeemed. About 35 years ago, I heard a story about a lamb and its mother. The lamb passed the pig pen every morning on the way to the pasture with its mom. Watching the pigs slop around in the mud seemed like lots of fun. And on an especially hot day, this little lamb said to his mother, he asked if he could jump the fence and go and play in the cool mud. His mom looked at him and said, no, you can't. The lamb then asked the usual question of most kids, why? The mother said simply, sheep don't wallow. That didn't satisfy the lamb. He felt like his mom wasn't being fair, that she was overreacting, that she didn't really have the right to tell him what to do or not do. So as he got older, one day, he let his mom go ahead into the pasture on a hot day and jump the fence. The cool mud on that hot day felt so good around his ankles. So he went in a little deeper, got up to his belly, and he was cooling off but wool and mud don't mix well together. And it began to cake on him until he realized that he was stuck in the mud. He couldn't get out. His pleasure had become his prison. He began to cry for help. And finally, the farmer came, pulled him out of the mud, cleaned him up, and took him back to the pasture. When he was reunited with his mother, she looked him in the eyes and said, sheep don't wallow. 
Followers of Jesus weren't made to wallow. That's not our character. It's not our nature. There's so much around us that looks attractive. It looks soothing. It seems appealing. We know that there's danger in those things, but we're confident it's not going to trap us. Sooner or later, we discover that we're up to our waist in muck and mud, and we can't get out. As hard as we try, it only gets worse. We need someone to rescue, to redeem us, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who pulls us out of the mire, sets us on solid ground, and cleans us up. Let me, let me just say to this, to those of us who've been followers of Jesus for a long time, don't go back to the mud. Sheep don't wallow. Peter wrote this and said, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. Um, don't go back. Don't wallow. Long after he had retired, in an interview for television, Wrongway Marshall said, it took a lot of guts for me to go back out on that field that day. I took football very seriously and I had made the biggest mistake you could make in a football game. Marshall's run the wrong way, scoring points for the opposing team, set the Vikings back that day. But it's interesting to me that it didn't affect the final outcome of the game. Marshall came back in the game, forced a fumble, and the Vikings won the game. Maybe, maybe you gave your life to Jesus a long time ago. You lived a life worthy of the calling, but you got knocked around. You got hit in the head. You lost your bearings. And for some time, you've been running in the wrong direction. You're still wearing the jersey of Jesus, but you realize you've been scoring points for the one who came to kill and steal and destroy. You've been waiting uh, for other followers of Jesus to cheer you on, only to discover that you're in the wrong end zone and, and that there's no celebration. T today, it's time to realize who you are, what it means to live for Jesus and to get back in the game. You've been rescued. You've been redeemed. Endurance is better than quitting. Patience is better than explosion. Joy is better than despair. Gratitude is better than greed. Rescue is better than captivity. Forgiveness is better than condemnation. It's time to live a life worthy of the Lord, to give your all back to him, to live with a simple desire to please him day in and day out. We've been rescued for a reason. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for this particular passage of scripture. God, I, um, 
it's so easy for us to get distracted, to see the stuff around us and to lose sight of who you are, to lose sight of what it means to, f- to follow you, to forget that we have been rescued. God, I, I ask that you'd help us today, that you'd help us draw a new line in the sand, that you'd help us um, experience repentance.